Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, your host for the eighth episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. So in March, that is way back in March. um, It's funny, I'm about to talk about this article in the Atlantic by David Brooks, uh, which was very provocative. I saw it all over the place um, when it came out in March, but it came out in March, if I haven't mentioned March enough, and that is when the schools closed. (laughs) And things were kind of chaotic then. So I feel like I'm a little late to talk about this. But given that my guest is um, today is going to talk about extended families, I thought it was really perfect to sort of remind people about this article again, by David Brooks in the Atlantic. Uh, It was called The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Now, (laughs) first of all, I think that title is awful. And I don't really think that it reflects what Brooks really meant to say in his essay. I don't think he's saying that nuclear families are terrible, but he does talk about the changes to society and how that has changed the nuclear family and really um, made it, made it um, I would say, not supportive enough for families. Um, Brooks I, I think, you know, what he, you know, let me give it a, it's hard. This was a very long article and it's hard to sort of summarize it in a few sentences. Um, but he says that what we call the nuclear family today, which is, you know, the mother, father, 2.5 kids, you know, the traditional sort of one parent working outside the home, one maybe work, um, a stay at home parent or maybe working part time. They live in the suburbs. Um, He says that this is a totally modern invention, and I totally agree with him on that, Um, and that it's not what family used to look like or family looked like for most of history. Um, This is really not the provocative part of the the article, Um, but he goes on to talk about um, what what families used to look like and how those families were really better for for everyone, for both the parents and the child. He opens the essay by describing a scene from the movie Avalon. This was a movie that came out, it was a Barry Levinson movie that came out in the 90s. I loved this movie, although I will tell, and I, I do, I think you should, I think people should watch it, but have some tissues ready because it is it's kind of got a grim, very sad ending. Um, but I remember watching this movie in the 90s. Um, I haven't watched it since, probably because it was so depressing. Um, and Brooks is is describing the scene, but he doesn't tell you he's describing the movie. And instantly, I knew he was describing Avalon. I, I love that movie so much. And I recognized the scene where he... he um, he describes there is there's several scenes in Avalon where the family gets together for holidays and it's a very loud household, very, you know, there's there's, you know, a ton of of aunts and uncles and cousins and they're all running around and it's all loud and they all sit down to one of these tables where it extends into the living room. You know, there's you know the dining room and then, you know, several fold fold away tables and, you know, and then there's a kid's table and um And it really struck me at the time because what that movie seemed like, and obviously to Brooks as well, um, it reminded me of of sort of the stories that I've heard of my own mother um, telling me about these enormous family gatherings. My mom 
did have an enormous um, family. Her her mom, my grandmother had 12 siblings. My grandfather, I think, had 10. I feel bad for not knowing. <laughs> I think you're allowed to lose track after that many. Um, and she would describe these enormous family gatherings, holidays, birthdays, special events, communions, uh, you know, um, you know, special events at the church, weddings, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, Brooks uses this movie Avalon in that scene to describe that this is usually how, um, or this is how humans have typically existed with these big networks of extended families, grandparents, aunt, uncles, and cousins. Um, and that this family, this large network of family would help and support one another. Um, and Brooks thinks uh, that this that it's this family dynamic, what he calls the extended family, that is more of a natural family, but that it doesn't really exist anymore. And that at, at the very least, it isn't that common. Um, that has, and, 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 again, and again, Brooks's main pr- point here is that it has created significant problems within society and within families that these, these don't exist anymore. He talks, I, I thought really, um, I thought I loved this part where he talks about how extended families, these large network of families have two great strengths. He talks about resilience, that if you have a large web of relationships among, say, you know, seven or 10 or 20 people, if the mother dies, you know, there's aunts and uncles and other siblings and cousins and grandparents who can sort of step into the breach, right, and take care of those, those children that no longer have a mother. You know, you have, um, he talks about these extended families being able to, to handle, uh, you know, unexpected burdens. He talks about how the, the very tight knit, the four person, you know, four or five person nuclear family, the smaller family who's, who's apart from that larger network of family has, um, it's an intense set of relationships. You know, if, if one relationship breaks, it, it affects everyone else. Whereas in a larger family, it's like, Hey, you know, these people are fighting. Well, you know, you got these other people over here. He talks about the second strengths of these extended families, um, in their socializing force. He's, he talks about how multiple adults can teach children right from wrong, how to behave towards others, how to be kind. Um, it's not just the parents teaching this. And, you know, we, we as parents all know, you know, you, get, you send your kid off to a play date and you get the report back from the, your friend uh, who says, boy, your child is, they're just, they're so well behaved. They're so polite. They're so nice. And you wonder, like, are they talking about my kid? Um, but in some ways, it's, it's important that children um, be, it, it, this, the, 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 the teaching of manners and, you know, again, what's right from wrong, that they hear it from more than just one person because, you know, they don't always listen to their parents. So Brooks is really kind of establishing that these are really important parts of a network, of a large network of family. Um, he then goes on um, to talk about what has replaced that, that sort of natural dynamic. And this is where I begin to disagree with Brooks a little bit. Um, he he goes into to talk about what has replaced that natural family, that natural network. And he talks about um, sort of shared parenting arrangements. He talks about um, these shared parenting arrangements in the African-American neighborhoods where there's low rates of fatherhood. Or he talks about, he also talks about large groups of friends who sort of live together to support one another. Um, 
I actually, we, I, I seen this dynamic in my own neighborhood. There are, um, a, a large group of Hispanic, these are low income Hispanic families, recent immigrants that often live in some apartments. There's an area in my town where there, it's a large um, Hispanic immigrant population and they live in these garden style apartments. And I was, um, one of my children played with the other little boy, with one, a boy who lived in these apartments. And the moms would sort of, I mean, these are families where the mom and dads work a lot and they're out of the house a lot. And so on off on on you know one mom's off day she would take care of maybe three or you know well gosh more more like 10 kids that lived in that immediate apartment building and then while the other well all the other parents worked and then on her days of work there'd be another parent that would step in and so they would sort of arrange this for all week where a different parent would take the role or maybe two or three so Brooks is kind of talking about how this has sort of taken the place um the problem with this essay, and I, you know, I really, I really liked David's Brooks, Dave Brooks' essay here, and partly because, I mean, it made me think. It really made me think about the effect of, of um, sort of the breakdown of family. And I'm not talking because of just a divorce, but I'm talking about, you know, modernization, better transportation, telephones. People are more willing to live a, away from their families. Um, I am sort of a product of that. While my mother grew up in a tight knit you know, very French Canadian, very Catholic family in New England. Um, my parents moved, I moved nine times before I was eight years old. And we very rarely saw our family members, but we communicated th with them, you know, with, you know, long distance phone calls, and we would go to see them, we would get on a plane, and we would go to see them, but it wasn't the same. Um, and part of the, what I, I find I have a problem with with Brooks's uh, essay is that he glosses over um, that some of these replacement attempts um, are exactly that. They're attempts to deal with bad situations um, when families break apart or when a fa father isn't around. I mean, I don't think, I mean, when he's praising sort of African-American, the, the situation in African-American neighborhoods where, um, you know, the single mothers will sort of, you know, coordinate to help take care of kids. I don't think those mothers chose this. And he's calling these sort of chosen families. Um, but I don't think a lot of moms, um, you know, would, would choose that. I think a lot of these mothers would like to have their husbands around or would like to have a father around to help. Um, and the same, the, I, I feel like the same is true with many of these other alternative forms of what David calls kinship or chosen families. He seems to suggest that these are simply replacements or in some, in some ways, I think he sort of suggests that these alternatives are better. Um, and really that the only, and the only criteria he's really using is that of their success is that they were chosen. Um, I don't feel like when they're chosen family, I feel like it's easier to walk away also from chosen families, whereas I doubt my mom or dad or my sister or my aunts or uncles would walk away from me. So I do disagree with some of what was written there. Um, but it is interesting. And I think Brooks really, again, he doesn't leave anything out. Um, he, he Right before he talks about the section on these kinship or chosen families, Brooks does talk um, or he goes over the data on outcomes for children who are in some of these chosen family situations. And they're pretty consistently worse um, than they they are for stable nuclear families, which is some of what I was confused about with the, with the Brooks piece. Um, in particular, the statistics on abuse and neglect um, in these contexts is very alarming. And, you know, single parent households, you know, there's very high rates of poverty. You know, the children in single parent households, even if they do have a network, um, these sort of chosen networks, they have higher 
higher, um, uh, lower grades, uh, more absenteeism, higher dropout rate. There is a higher risk of sexual uh, child abuse um, and many children have psychiatric problems and addictions later in life. So, you know, I, I, I think it's important when we're talking about, you know, some of these situations where people are sort of forced to, to choose these alternatives that there, it isn't just always a happy ending. But I do think Brooks's piece is a truly necessary examination of what family looks like today. And, and he really gives, gives us so much to talk about. So today we're going to be talking a little bit more about the idea of family. What is a family and who makes it better? Um, and I have a great guest, Melanie Notkin. She is the founder of Savvy Auntie, a celebration of modern adulthood, which is a multi-platform lifestyle brand for cool aunts, great aunts, godmothers, and all women who love kids. Welcome, Melanie. Well, thank you so much. I feel very welcome to be here. <laughs> well, I always give I always give people's, it sounds ridiculous, but I love to read people's official introductions because I think there's stuff in here that people should know about. Um, Melanie is an expert on the emerging demographic of childlessness, often single, or childless, often single women. She does really fascinating research in this area. Her data and insights on what she calls the pink professional aunts, no kids, a phrase that she coined in 2008, um, has been featured in the New York Times, Forbes, CNN, and many more outlets. She is the author of Savvy Auntie, the ultimate guide for cool aunts, great aunts, godmothers, and all women who love. By the way, I will be purchasing this book for my sister this Christmas. Um, her memoir, I will also mm -hmm. be buying this. Her memoir, Otherhood, Modern Women Finding a New Kind of Happiness, received a booklist starred review. So I think everyone should go and find these books. A decade ago, Melanie established Auntie's Day, which is an annual day set aside to honor and celebrate all the other mothers in a child's life. It is every fourth Sunday in July. Um, this is a really cool thing, and, and we're definitely going to talk about this, is the 12th annual. She created the, the annual. It's now that this year will be the 12th annual, right? I think so. Is that right? This year is the 12th? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that... Savvy, let me say this right, Savvy Auntie Coolest Toy Awards. This is something I really need, okay? Um, it will re be released in the fall of 2020. It is a list of the coolest toys and games on children's holiday wish lists so that every auntie or mom can be the hero at the holidays. Uh, she is a contributor to the New York Post, the Washington Post, the Huffington Post, so many posts, and Psychology Today, and she appears regularly on national television, radio, podcasts like this podcast, and the web. I'm so glad you're here today. Well, thanks again. I'm so happy to be here. So I, you know, I opened this show and I'd mentioned this to you um, that, you know, I talked about the idea. David Brooks wrote this really provocative. I think I, I think provocative is a perfect word for it. In the Atlantic, um, talking about extended families, the importance of of other family members like aunts. Um, I, I I've also told you that I have a sister. Um, who is absolutely wonderful to my kids. She's enormously generous. She's very sweet to them. Um, sadly, she lives in Iowa, so we can't see her very often, but she takes the kids uh, for a week, a full week each summer, God bless her, and she never fails to pay attention to them, and, and she gives them tons of attention. In, in short, she's really nurtured that relationship. I'm so busy, and I'm always, you know, I always forget to call her. I forget to put them on the phone, but she's worked really hard at, at not nurturing that relationship, so I'm really excited to be talking about this a little bit more. Um, tell me why you started this movement, really. Well, 
I myself am a, I'm a woman who um, does not have children of her own. This is by circumstance. I always expected, hoped, yearned for children of my own um, with a partner, with a husband, and uh, both ha- have not come true. I still have hope for the love, um, unfortunately not for the children. But that said, when I was in my mid to late 30s, I, I realized that it was not just me who was fawning over my nieces and nephews. It was my friends and my friends' friends. And you know, these little people in our lives, and sometimes they were even you know, older kids, teens, um, we, these were the, this was and still is uh, the center of our life. Um, again, by me, it was for, by circumstance, others, although I, I don't know many who are child-free by choice, but certainly by, for some it was and or um, by challenge. Um, and yet, you know, we, we had these, um, and have these maternal instincts that, um, that are ready to go, rearing to go. And we um, are, are fortunate enough to be able to spend that um, energy on our nieces and nephews by relation and also by choice. And so I realized that there was this growing demographic of women who um, are having their first child later, if ever. And so I coined the demographic PANK or professional aunt, no kids, um, for in, you know, 80% um, or more of women without children of their own consider themselves an aunt to a child again by relation or by choice. And, and yet, um, when we talk about women in America, we, we tend to um, turn the W for woman upside down into an M for mom. We're a little right. what I call mom-opic. And so, you know, but here's this, again, this growing demographic of women who really do care about not only, you know, the, the children in their life, family, and again, sometimes that's a family by choice. They're, they're, they're you know, their best friends and their neighbors, et cetera. Um, and yet there was nobody talking to us. And right. in fact, there was this sort of myth of us being this, you know, kind of like that the sex in the city, like we're just too busy drinking cosmopolitans and having a different man every weekend. And, you know, and, and of course, um, well, I'm sure that is true for some people. Um, for most women, this is not a reality. Well, let's talk and a little so bit more thought, about, well, yeah. no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting, but let's talk a little bit about, about more about those myths, myths and assumptions. And I feel like, and I, I certainly don't want to make sweeping generalizations, but I do feel like women um, and sometimes on the right, sometimes a lot of women on the right tend to say, have a lot of assumptions about childless women that it was, oh, you've just chosen a career or you don't like children or you don't want to be a mom or you're a feminazi or you're, um, mm. you know, you're just, uh, and, and I think, and I, I, I feel like it's so funny because I feel like I could talk to you for two hours and this is just a podcast, but I've got to, I've got to keep, I've not, I've got to keep myself from going off too far off a tangent, but I do feel like there's this us against, there's this sort of like us against them, you know, and you hear this with mommy wars and stuff like that. So what are, why do you think so many women, and again, I, I, I don't mean to generalize, but I feel like a lot of conservative women think that women without children, it's always a choice or it's, you know, they somehow have rejected a life of motherhood. Sure. I, and I, and I do 
I have felt it personally, and I know that it is something that many feel. And yet, most often is is you know the furthest from the truth. You know, it's it, often enough it's the thing that women yearn for the most, and and among conservative women, it's the thing that they yearn for the most within the context of family. And so, you know, to say, well, you know, if you if you haven't had a child, well, then you have failed on so many levels because you have failed at finding a partner and you have failed at, you know, at, at understanding the value of family and you're missing out on all of that. So I think there are a few things going on here. Um, number one is um, the ability to sort of to, to signal for those who are who are. Um, saying that to and or of women who don't have children to signal that it could never happen to me, which which is also a way of saying, I would never put myself in that situation. That could never have happened to me, which is only just reassuring the fact that whether or not they are happy in their own situation, that they could never, it could never have happened to them. There must be something wrong with that woman. Right who looks like she has everything going for her, right? Because she's generally speaking, statistics show she is more likely to be, um, have a college degree and much more likely to have a master's degree or other advanced degree. She is more likely to be affluent. There are a lot of things going for this woman. And yet they look at her and say, well, if she's so, you know, attractive in her lifestyle, it must be a choice. And, um, and for women, I guess in some ways it is a choice. It's a choice of love. It's a choice to be with somebody who they want to be with for the rest of their life. It's a choice to be with a man who would make a good father um, for yeah. their child. And yet um, those choices, which are good choices and smart choices, um, are not choices that they've necessarily made or they haven't made actively. And so people will say, well, you know, it's your career, you're a career woman. Well, there are no career men. Nobody makes an assumption that a man can't, you know, work and pay the rent and get married and have children. And women are pretty good multitaskers. Um, So, or, you know, or they, they just, oh, well, they just, they're just naive about their fertility. Well, you know, again, these women are generally college educated. They understand basic math. And and by the way, there is a reminder just about every 30 days, more or less, <laughs> of her fertility. Well, this is um, it's and yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up. I, mean, I do want I want, also want to get your opinion on because when I was I remember I very clearly remember having conversations with my friends in my late 20s, in my early 30s, you know, talking about continuing to put it off, continuing to put it off. And really, I've talked to I've talked to friends, um, you know, obviously, since having children, and they've had, you know, one, but who have sort of said, I wish I hadn't waited so long, because then they, you know, they have to get IVF, or they have to go through very extensive fertility treatments, or they just didn't have the number that they wanted. And I wonder if you could talk also about, which I, I sort of see on the other side is, I resent to be honest with you, I resent my doctor never talking to me about it. Now, you could also say that was a bad doctor, right? Like, all, you know, but I feel like some, I feel, and I think this has changed probably in the last couple of years, but certainly in the 90s and when I was, after I was married in 2001, I felt like 
and you mentioned sex in the city, I think there was a little bit of that culturally going through um, with young women of just putting it off, putting it off till, you know, mid to late 30s. And so, you know, I wonder if you could comment on, do you think that has changed? Do you think that in some cases when you say, you know, it, it was a, you know, childless from circumstances or, um, you know, because they couldn't, they couldn't actually have a child um, uh, because of infertility problems or because they were starting late. Do you think that that was, that that has changed, that there's more open conversations about fertility now that people are mm-hmm. willing to, because, and do you agree with me? Do you think that that was sort of verboten for many years? Like, oh, no, 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 you don't, you don't want to pressure women about having children. So I, I, I think there, there's a lot going on. And I think the Generation <laughs> X, the daughters of feminism, yeah. um, you know, we're, sort of the, we're the experiment in terms right. of, you know, we, we were born into um, a much more equitable world, yeah. right? Yeah. Or, or, and so we, I never, I'm 51, I never thought I wouldn't go to college. I get, these things right. are questions. Well, my mom stayed at home you know, and had gone to trade school, um, you know, and, and nobody looked down on her. It wasn't even, and, and there certainly wasn't huge pressure on me to, it was just basically a rite of passage, like, like right. my brother. Um, so, and yet, you know, you're right in that I don't remember my gynecologist talking to me and telling me about the timing, but I think that the difference here is that it's not that I didn't want it. I mean, when I moved to New York um, in 1993, I was interviewing for a job and I asked about maternity benefits. Wow. I was like 23. Like I, I this You're was so something smart. I was set on doing. This, right. I wasn't putting it off. Right. You know, and, and I was doing everything I could to find love, but that's, and that's the irony, right? That the one thing that this, this demographic of a pank professional at no kids is who, you know, they often have everything going for them. They're right. they're pretty they're pretty capable women. In fact, they're capable of saying no to to marriage to feel like they they're being taken care of. Right? They right. they right. they can figure out life. And no, every man should be loved. You know, she's not settling to, to for for you know what one might think are selfish reasons. Whether right. that's getting a roof over her head or having more time for more children, what have you. Um, and yet, you know, it, it's not so easy anymore. So Gen X, again, going back to the idea of experiment, we're also, you know, we're the guys, you know, our age, you know, okay, so their, their mom, if, if she did work, she was likely a secretary, a teacher, or a nurse, or she was a homemaker, right? And, and yet they look at the women that they're dating and they are, you know, what they'll call quote unquote high powered, which means they have a job that pays decently. <laughs> you know, maybe they wear yeah. black more often than right. you know, somebody on the farm, right? And right. and they and they want to feel like they're contributing. Right. Look, what happened is that as as women as as women became more um, masculine, because yep. we were told everything boys can do, girls can do better, and we wore the big, you know, shoulder pads and the pantsuits and we did all right. that. Um, to empower ourselves, we became more masculine. And many on, you know, 
on certainly on the left and on the far left, radical were, you know, I don't need a man, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. And sometimes well, women still say that today. The truth is, okay, well, we've proven we don't need a man. But what I think women want to do now, or what men more so want women to do now, is to show we, we need them. Yeah. And not because we need them because we, we can't um, figure out how to change a light bulb. Um, it's because men want to feel needed. And we've kind of taken that away from many men. Well, and so you know, we, and we have caught, we, we haven't figured out how to connect. Well, we haven't met each other. We keep passing each other. Well, it's also just a constant drumbeat of criticism of men. You know, you look at commercials where the man is always stupid and the mom is always the bright one who comes in and, 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 um, and, and even in exactly. even in even in um, sitcoms, you know, um, you know, the it's it's not I, I, this isn't in sitcoms. It's not it's not always like this, but more than more than not, it's the mom who's kind of the logical one and the man who's kind of the buffoon. Um, you know, we also see this in a narrative that really bothers me is this idea that men do nothing around the house. And. You know, mm-hmm. I know that the statistics, if you like, if you question, w- women will say, yeah, I do most of the housework, cooking, cleaning. But, you know, men, uh, it, sometimes they don't really drill down into the actual um, things that men do, like cleaning out the gutters, okay, with the mice in it. Right. Like, um, I like throw right. up, like my husband will come in and tell me, like all the disgusting things he pulled out of the gutters, he actually pulled a he tells me it was a mouse. Yeah. I'm fairly convinced it was a rat, um, but he doesn't want to tell me that because he knows I would then want to move. Um, and then, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like he takes the garbage out. He fixes the cars. If the Wi-Fi, I don't even know where the, I don't even know where the stupid thing is that to turn off, you know? So th- I, I don't like this pitting one another. I agree. And, and it, and it, it makes, I think it just makes men feel, um, bad and and like you said i think men do want to be needed they want to be praised and recognized they know they, um, they, know they can they want to know that they can contribute because here's a woman who had everything going for her you know men have said like so why do you need me right and we have to tell them why we need them and you know and so a couple of things back on this idea you know that that the women became more masculine in turn, to be fair, the men became more feminine. Yes. Men became lazy when it came to dating. They yes. said, well, you know what? If you're going to want to take charge, then I'll just let you take charge. Why should I pick the venue for the date? Why should I, you know, why shouldn't I expect you to pay 50%? And then the women are turned off because they've been giving the wrong messages. Right. And, you know, and again, we're losing the connection. And then in terms of, you know, what you said with the commercials and TV shows and, and movies, well, I would say the same that, to your point, you kept saying the mom always solves the problem at the end. The mom's the responsible, organized, yeah. capable yeah. one. Well, the single, childless aunt is the moron. That's exactly, so yes, in, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like Lori in, in, uh, in, in Roseanne. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. You're right. She's always befuddled, yeah. always in trouble. Right. You know, always sort of, and even like, you know, even in Frasier, one of my favorite, God, I'm aging myself here, but like, you know, I, I love Frasier, I still love Frasier, you know, and, yes. and, yeah. uh, and the, the producer, you know, she's sort of this, you know, hard boiled kind of, you know, and then, and then, right. you know, we, woman. yeah, you know, they all, they, the, there were several single women in that, but they all kind of had that, that type. Um, and, and I, and I totally agree. That's very interesting. I didn't even make the connection that there's always the sidekick yeah. sister. Yeah. 
um, that's always in need of rescue. She, she's either a drunk or, or a man chaser <laughs> or, you know, there was a show up all night where Maya Rudolph played a, like a, you know, oh, like right. a, 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 I guess like a talk show host, right? She was like 40, clearly <laughs> a capable woman to have that job. And her producer who's younger than her, it seems, you know, they, she, they're married and they, she, she and her husband have a baby by mistake. They didn't tend to it. But even though they didn't really want children, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the child, the baby came out of her, you know, her, her lady parts. And all of a sudden she knew everything it is right. to be a mother, even if she did, wasn't perfect at it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Maya Rudolph character comes in and she doesn't even know how to hold a baby and gives it right, a liverwurst. Right, exactly. Like, come on. You know, and yeah, even the, in yeah. commercials. Yeah, at the end the of the same scene, thing. it's the baby is still alive because Maya touched it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Right. But I I think this is also, it feeds into this, and I don't mean to be critical of moms, but the, it is weird how the fetishizing of motherhood, of, of mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, you know, look, I'm <laughs> here I am doing a parenting podcast, so uh, I guess you could say, you know, but I, but I do, I, I am amazed, um, and I, I, maybe this is because I'm out of the baby years, it's not new to me. You know, I've got a, I've got, I've got a kid. I'm going to have to turn. Try, I'm going to have to teach him how to drive in two years, which is horrifying. But this idea that, <laughs> you know, that sort of mothers know best. Mothers, the minute they have a child, suddenly the woman has transformed into a, you know, a genius, and um, and she can do, do no wrong. And I think this also gets into, and this is kind of, I, I hadn't planned on talking about this, but I think this is kind of fascinating. This idea of that that I think as, as families um, and this kind of gets back to the Brooks thing, but like as family, as extended families aren't as big a part of families anymore because people move away, right. Or people, you know, people don't live in close proximity. There is this idea that the mother is infallible. Like she knows everything. She is never to be questioned, you know, whether it's the food you feed them. You know, I had a friend who used to come over to my house and she would come over with her grandson and, I have three little boys and they'd be running around and, you know, you know, half naked, jump in the, spr- in the sprinkler and her son would, and her grand, she'd have her grandson and her, her daughter-in-law had a list a mile long of rules and the grandmother. And I mean, mm. this grandmother, she was only a couple years older than me, but she was so nervous that she would break the rules. And I'm horrible to admit this. I swear I'm horrible to admit this, but I go inside and I come out with popsicles and all the kids are so thrilled. And the grand, the grandmother says, Oh yeah is that organic and is it all fruit and is it, does it have no sugar? And she had like this seven questions, like rapid fire, seven questions. And I said yes to all of them. And I'm a liar because it was one of those horrible, all sugar water popsicles, you know, where you push up from (laughs) the bottom. Um, And so it's interesting to me. I think the absence of extended families, the fact that, that today people aren't, Hey, could you go watch? Could you watch my? Could you go to your grandparents for a couple of days, or could you go to your aunts for the for an hour or something? That it makes everything. It makes the mother so much more, sort of the authority on everything, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I think now, again, there are a couple of things going on. I think that that to some degree, I think that that because we are so individualistic as a society, that moms in a way are doing it. Um, potentially, again, I'm not a mom. And so forgive me all the moms and dads and every, everyone listening, but as almost like a survivor, you know, I, I've got this, 
look, I'm organized. Here are the spreadsheets. Here are the organic things we can have, cannot have. Here's the, you know, and so it's because she's, she is overwhelmed. And this is a way to say, I've got control. It's a yeah. quantitative way to confirm control for herself. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that it's, but a child is often so happy to be with their aunt, with their uncle, with their grandparents, where they can run wild, where they can have a little more freedom to kind of find themselves, to push the barriers a little bit. And in a way, you know, it's, it is an opportunity for, um, for the, for the, for the grandparent and certainly my case, the aunt, maybe to break the rules a bit, little bit. Now I don't mean rules that would God forbid, you know, impair a child's wellness. And, Go you know, play don't in traffic. They're allergic okay. to Right. <laughs> this is, that's not what we're saying. Right. But, right. But they can take a little more risk because they, you know, they, we, of course we take care of them. It's just, they can be a little more free to be, you know, in the, in the company of another with whom they know that they are safe. Right. Yes. I say, you know, we're not their mom. We're not yeah. their friend. We're their aunt, the perfect blend. Totally. Well, I will because tell you, you know, there's also something mm-hmm. about my children. Um, I, it, sometimes people have told me like ease up right on me. Cause I, you know, we spend mm-hmm. some time in the summer with another, these are friends that we, we, you know, go to their house on the beach and we spend time with them. And I remember the husband going, God, you're tough on your kid. You're really like, he was pretty nice about it, but you could tell he was like, geez, cut it out. And I, it's because I'm with them all the time and they annoy me and I'm so terrified that they'll do something like break something or whatever. And so, you know, when you say not jump out in traffic or, you know, eat an app, something they're allergic to, but you know, an aunt, someone who, you know, isn't with them, you know, hundred percent of the time, you know, they're not as annoying, right? (laughs) They're not, even when my kids come home, you're right. You know, they just, of course, of course, of course. And not only that, but, but, you know, eventually, whether it's a week with your sister or, you know, a few hours with their auntie who lives, you know, two miles away, you know, we, we get to have a glass of wine sooner than mom does. Like we get to relax. We, we do get to go back to it. And even if, you know, it's, it's so hard to say goodbye to the kids, even if, you know, we want our own kids, whatever it is, you know, we, we it's not, you know, all the time. And it's exhausting. It is exhausting. I will say that for an aunt, you know, having, um, I have a nephew now 19 and I'm six in all and the youngest are, are twins were 12. Um, but they, when they were young and there, there are two sets of twins. So believe me, I would come wow. home pretty exhausted, but also because I'm like, I'm quote unquote on, right. Because yeah. I have to think about what my right. brother and sister-in-law would like. I mean, they always trusted me. That was never the issue, but right. more, you know, and, They didn't have like very strict rules about a lot of things, but more so like, was I giving them the experience that the kids want? Were the kids going to be too tired? Were, were, you know, and so, um, and, and so we, yeah, but it's exhausting. But that said, you know, I also know that, and this is obviously, you know, outside of COVID that what I call, um, and what your sister does so beautifully, Aunt Ventures, you know, the time with the aunt, again, whether it's an hour, whether it's, a, you know, they're, they're sleeping over at aunties, whether it is a week away or whatever it is, it is 
time that is set aside for them and that bond. Yeah. And you know, to what you were saying earlier, Julie, this idea of the of you know how there is so much pressure um, on. Where well, I was saying, we we're both saying there was pressure on moms and parents altogether, um, but also that you know, we kind of look at those who are not moms as not really, you know, oh, you wouldn't get it or you don't know yeah. or what have you. Um, really, you know, what studies have found, uh, this is a 2016 study, is that they looked at 20 nations of, of um, at, at the happiness gap between parents and non-parents. And yeah. of those 20 nations, the United States was at the very bottom, um, i.e. they had the largest gap. And that's because we are not like a, a communal society. We're much more individualistic. So that, and we're seeing a lot of this now with COVID, as, yeah. as we as we've seen, you know, especially as as some you know workplaces are opening up again, or even before they were, um, understanding that it is extraordinarily difficult beyond um, for parents now, especially moms who tend to be the primary parent during the yeah. day when it comes to taking care of kids. Um, to, to be at work and to homeschool their kids while the baby is crying. I mean, I, I can't imagine. But that well, said, the idea that, that non-parents have, don't have their own challenges at this time is sort of bubbling up to the top. It's not just, I think it could be yes and. Right. And in collective communities where the parents recognize the value that non-parents, the role that they play, so that when a when a mom you know is it leaves you know at five o'clock sharp um, because she's got kids or whatever it is and and the non mom you know who works as a partner below her or above her whatever in that department is the one that picks up the slack um, resentment will begin because yeah. that non mom may be yearning for children of her own she may right. have other things she may have parents she may have be be in the middle of IVF and nobody knows. I mean, who knows, right? And acknowledgement and gratitude for what these women and men who are not parents do in the workforce, um, which enable yeah. the parents to be at home. If we think about it as a village, that's how parents become happier people themselves. And the non-parents become happier. So I think that there is a real opportunity here is we kind of, you know, create our new normal collectively yeah. that we don't further separate the moms and non-moms, but rather we find ways to literally work together yeah. so that we can, you know, raise these poor kids who are, you know, themselves completely displaced um, with COVID. Well, I think I think that, you know, reliance on coworkers, I certainly re rely on my coworkers, I rely on my neighbors, I rely on non family members, just because my parents don't live either not next door. I mean, they, they only live about uh, two hours away, but they're not they're not. You know, I always joke that my parents chose that location for retirement because it was close enough to come visit, but not close enough for emergency babysitting needs. So very smart parents. <laughs> I have very smart parents. Smart but parents. Um, yes, but and my sister obviously lives in Iowa. My husband's family lives in, in Ohio. So we don't, we don't have, you know, it's not like they can just run down to grandma's house. But, you know, I will say one thing I and I agree we need to and, and certainly when it comes to coworkers who don't have kids, I, I really am 
um, it, I, I really think we need to be, you know, careful and, and, and not treat them like, oh, they just, you know, like you said, they're just drinking a cocktail on the, on the, on the, you know, the deck and, and relaxing. But I, but I will say one thing about my reliance on neighbors, my reliance on, you know, people in my church or whatever, you know, I don't feel as comfortable. And part of that is because I think I'm naturally, I feel like, oh, everything's such an inconvenience and I don't want to ask for help. And I tend to be a little bit more independent in that way. And, that's and I, I want to kind of bring this back to the David Brooks piece and ask your opinion on, you know, I really do think that family, um, and I'm talking biological blood relatives, someone who is in your family, um, whether that's an adoptive sister, but you know, someone that you're 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 like I'm not talking about your best friend. I mean, I'm really talking about like my sister or my mom, you know, or my aunt sure. or my cousin, because I think there's a different dynamic there. I don't feel guilty when I ask my mom for help. I don't feel guilty when I ask my sister for help or or, or a relative, my, my sister-in-law who I adore, you know, um, who's my children's other aunt. I should have brought her up, Janine. She's wonderful. I love her. And she's, mm-hmm. I would never feel guilty if I said, I need you to drive out here and help me. She would. Um, she was, you know, so I had a lot of miscarriages. She was incredibly supportive to me during that period of my life. And and I never felt like I was inconveniencing her when I asked her for help during that period. I do feel like when David Brooks talks about chosen, these, cho- these kinship relationships or chosen families, maybe I'm, maybe I'm odd, but I feel like I would feel bad asking for too much help in those, mm-hmm. in those, and so in those situations. And so I feel like he was sort of glossing over some of you know, I don't think it's exactly equal. I think actual family family is really important. And as we, you know, because David Brooks is talking about, okay, well, what's replaced it? But it really hasn't. I don't feel like that's just a natural replacement, just relying on friends or, you know, neighbors. I feel like there is something very different about an aunt or a cousin or a, a brother or sister. No, I, so I, I, I agree. Um, so and um, so, you know, let's take COVID. Great example where, again, we're finding, you know, we know, and David talks about it too in his piece, that, that men and women are marrying later, um, certainly college-educated men and women are marrying later, if ever. And we are spending a longer period of time alone. So, yes, it's true that there are young adults who end up you know, um, going back to their parents, they've been laden with a lot of student loans and, and other reasons, right? But I'm talking about, you know, sort of when that health insurance ends right. and, the, and the patience of parents ends and they're on their own. So it's like late 20s, right, until whenever. Um, they're often on their own. And, you know, COVID was a great example because I have, you know, a number of single friends. I have a single male friend in my apartment building. And, um both of us have uh, a little immunosuppressed and certainly were concerned in the spring and early summer when obviously the numbers were much higher here in New York city. And we took care of each other. If one went out, they brought for the other, even going to lobby to get the the mail we got for the other. Um, We went shopping for each other. I have another friend who, um, who's again, lives alone in her parents as does my father live in Canada and she, her sibling lives in a, in a different state. And we made sure again, to take care of each other, to go on long walks for each other, to make sure we weren't getting lonely. Right. I mean, you know, so we do take care of each other, but you know, 
you know, because we, because we, we have each other and sometimes we only have each other. Now it happens that my brother and sister-in-law were very generous. My sister-in-law went food shopping with for me, which was, I mean, the, the amount of work she did for me was unbelievable. And I, but here's, here's the thing, you know, the, probably the reason, Julie, and I, you know, I've come to know you over the years, you know, through social media. This is really the first time we're having this I know. conversation. But <laughs> I, I bet that the reason why you don't feel uncomfortable asking anything of your family members is because you've shown acknowledgement and gratitude and you still have your kids for that. Yeah, your kids yeah. may not do it directly, Right. Right. But just right. showing the love, the, uh, the, the, when, when they see their aunt and, and her, and their eyes open and they run to yeah. her, that is yeah. all the gratitude she needs. Yeah. And with, with neighbors, with friends, with coworkers, it's kind of different, right? It's right. not like, right. but, you know, but imagine, right. If that neighbor that one day did, you know, you need a favor from, if, if I don't mean you specifically, I want to put it on you, sure, but sure. like if, if those kids, you know, drew pictures, you know, a card or something for yeah. that neighbor, there was nothing that neighbor would never not do for the <laughs> coworker. True. You know, thanks, yeah. thanks for, thanks for, you know, thanks because mommy came to my birthday party. Mommy came to my play because you stayed at work. What that would mean to that. That is actually, woman. that is actually so just the, what you just said, like a thank you note to a coworker who had to work later because you needed the time off for a pedi- pediatrician or something like that. That is so meaningful. And that, I think that, that right. you're right. That, that That is such a gesture of goodwill and recognition of what they've done, which is never done. You know, it, oh, well, I shouldn't say never. I bet you've done it. But, but, but I think, you know, we don't, the, the, the actual, like giving a physical thing, like a thank you note from a child is, is that is it's everything. It is everything. It's everything. It's everything, and it, you know, it 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 makes that non-parent again that whether it's the the woman or man, right, feel like wow, like I really contributed, I did something, and because we do have this little bit of a sense of entitlement. Well, I'm a parent, so yes, you, we you do. Know, tough yes, luck. Yes. I I have the right, and right. you know, even you know, like well, yes, maternity leave, paternity leave, all those. We all agree those things are vital, and we don't even have enough of it. But in the meantime. There is somebody at work who's doing more work. And I know because I was that woman when I was working in corporate America. Right, right. And often, and sometimes it could be actually a little painful for them because not only are they doing extra work, they really want, they want to go on dates. I remember mm-hmm. telling a boss, this is like 15, 20 years ago, you say, I know I have to stay late because the mom in the department has to go. But like, I, I have a date. I want to be a mom. I right. literally said that. Right. And, you know, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, like, the, you know, the, the best answer to those questions of, well, why don't you have kids? Don't you want kids? So what's wrong? What's, you know, what is the, so you're married to your career? Is that, did you choose career? Oh, so the answer is, Julie, it's really something that people forget. People don't recognize is a, that probably, I not even probably, I know is the best answer. And that is the truth. Yeah. And the truth is, no, I, it, the, the truth is I would, I, I, I so want to meet somebody. I so want right. to be in love. Right. Sometimes I cry because everything I ever wanted is elusive to me. And it's not because I don't try. I don't have children. And for these women for whom it is true, not because I don't want children, but because it hasn't happened yet. 
Right. Do you know anybody to set me up with? <laughs> and you. you know, change the conversation, right? right? You can't you can't expect other people to talk to you, um, you know, the way that you want or ask you the questions the way that you want to hear that what have you if you don't change the script. That's you're right. just as guilty if you don't respond honestly. And if you respond in a way that's kind of obnoxious or is kind of, you know, rude or that doesn't help either. Just be honest. Sincerity is really powerful. Sincerity is really disarming. It really is. And it really takes, a, it? A, and, and actually it feels good. I think in some ways, you know, I, when I was struggling, um, after my husband and I got married and we were trying to have children and I was struggling, I dealt with terrible feelings of, of, you know, what is, what is wrong with me? What is happening? I don't under, you know, I it just, it was such a dark, dark place to be. And there were times where I wasn't honest and goosh, it was just, it took longer to explain the lie than to um, be honest about things and and there was nothing wrong and it and often you would find out that the person had struggled or was struggling or was having some similar struggles so it's I, I can't agree with you enough on that and you know I want to I want to just before I burst into tears because I feel like my the back mm-hmm. of my throat tingling but I want to I want to shift a little bit to mm-hmm. um um, you had talked about, I thought, I, I love what you said about, you know, a thank you note to a coworker who's worked late or someone who, you know, who who doesn't have children and recognizing what they've done, the sacrifice that they've given to you so you can be with your child. But what can people do? This is something I struggle with because my sister lives so far away is, you know, you know, trying to put, I put her on the phone with the kids sometimes or, you know, my kids always make personalized um, birthday cards, but it always feels like I'm, I, I'm waiting for those m- moments like a birthday or Christmas or, you know, oh gosh, it's been a week. Let the, let's call Aunt teen, you know, but like, what can we, what are some of the things you suggest for parents to help their kids also, and also be more independent in, in, in doing this on their own? What would you recommend that parents do to make the aunts in their lives feel special? The, you know, the extended families, but, but specifically the aunts, I'm going to be selfish here uh, and, and ask specifically about how, how could kids, and I'm talking a little bit older kids, you know, my, I've got a 13 year old now, a 11 year old, a 10 year old, they're certainly able to do some of this stuff on their, their own. Actually, he's 12. My middle kid is 12. I got to get that right. Now, mm-hmm. what would you suggest? So, um, so a few things. Um, number one is, you know, it, I don't know if your 13 year old has his, has a phone yet or texting no. or such and no judgment. He has, way. An, right. he, has so, an right. email. he has an email account. So, um, I am sort of anti-technology in that way, but he does have an email I, account. I get it. Right. So, I mean, and that's why I was trepidation about it. Right. Obviously some do, some don't, what have you. I mean, right, right. before long he will. Um, and of course that, but by that time he will be in his non-communicative time of adolescence where if you're lucky, if you get a grunt with two syllables in it, like, uh uh-huh. So, uh, so, you know, that's going to be, you know, but you know, the, the aunt should know is my, my nephew, my, my, I remember my sister-in-law once apologized. I'm like, no, no, no. I think it's so sweet. I'm like, part of his like, you know, adolescence, like he's grunting, like it's a milestone. (laughs) So, um, you know, it's so lovely now that he's 19 that I get like, you know, three sentences in a text nice. from him and it's like, wow. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that, and, and so they're less independent in terms of they, they don't really sort of have their own, you know, cell phone where they're texting or calling their aunt. But um, I think that 
um, telling them, um, you know, so that they know it's cool with you um, is, you know, Auntie says, or Auntie says, you can call her anytime. And sometimes she won't be able to talk for very long or she's, you know, at work or what have you. But, you know, she loves hearing from you. So not as a like, you know, it is Easter. Did you call your aunt? It's not that. It's, you know, the lines are open. Right. right? And that it doesn't have to be all three of them at the same time, that they can each have their very individual relationship with her. And sometimes she will, they will bond together over something they have in common. Again, I have two sets of twin nieces. One is what I call my, and I have a pun for every, everything, an aunt pun, my fashion me stuff. Yeah. And we can text, she's 17, and we can text and, you know, FaceTime, et cetera, about, you know, oh, my God, did you, Zara's having a sale. Okay, let's plan what we're <laughs> buying. You know, so we have that, right? We we, we bond over different things. Like, I, I, I promised her, you know, that new Revlon hair tools. I, last Thanksgiving, I'm like, I had it with him, like, do you want this? And her, like, eyes opened up, you know, for Hanukkah. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, there you go. And so you can have – now, my other niece and I don't chat or, or text as often, but she's the one who, for Hanukkah, I gave – a complete anthology to Joan Didion. And we read it and like have conversations about various, you know, essays and books of Joan Didion, which is a completely right. different relationship. Right. So right. the idea is that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be equal right. and, um, and it could be different. And there may be one of your boys may be um, more communicative and he may be the one to, to want, you know, that, that connection. Um, it could be your middle child. <laughs> Right. right. So there's, there's, so that that's a good idea that it doesn't have to be sort of holiday related, um, and also that the aunt should feel free to just call to speak to one of them or just email yeah. one of them. Again, it's like sometimes like especially when I imagine I've six, right? And to call that and know, oh my god, I don't have an hour, so right. I speak to all of them, especially when they're little and you can barely understand. Yeah. And they, yes. no, no. And one more thing, I have to tell you. All right. 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 So, um. <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, it could be that one, you know, is, um, you know, what I'm not speaking specifically, obviously, of your kids, because I don't know them, but maybe one's artistic and the aunt is an artist and they can have that, you know, connection with each other. And also, again, you know, like I said, you know, I'm not their mom. I'm not their friend. I'm the aunt that they're, you know, the perfect blend. Sometimes the aunt is with whom they share the things they're not yet sure they want to share with their parents. Right, and I don't mean necessarily the extreme of, um, you know, maybe they're they're thinking about their um, their sexual preferences, preferences, right, or right. or they're thinking. We're not talking about that, or even you know, the first time they're going to have sex, whatever it is, right? right they may not right. feel comfortable. But the aunt is really the person kind to kind of bounce those ideas off of, right? Like what, sure. she's a good test. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so you, you know, parents should know that that's how kids often feel about their aunt and often enough what a, a happy role that an aunt plays. And so to make both aware that, you know, just so you know, if you feel for whatever reason you can't talk to your father or to myself, and they should always feel, I hope they do feel comfortable talking to you, but teenagers are teenagers, right? We all have to be honest that your aunt or either of your aunts, right, 
you they want you to know that it's an open door policy. That's a great idea. They, whatever great you know, idea. it's it's 11 p.m. and maybe you know one day when your 13 year old is 17, and oops, yeah. maybe he had a beer he shouldn't have had, right. and can't get home. Whatever it is, right. Or they did, or they, or they took, or he, you know, you said in two years he'll be driving. Oops, there was a little bit of a bumper, you know, right. hit. Well, right. So yeah. both of them can create that relationship, um, and it's kind of like a free ticket to okay. Here's a safe, safe person to talk right. to to help yeah. me navigate. No. I was terrified of my parents and didn't have a good relationship, didn't have any to speak of relationship with any of my aunts and uncles, but to have had that, to have had that person who also knows my mom really, you know, knew my mom really well, knew my dad really well, um, is, is, I think it's, but I think it's actually smart for the parents to tell the child, if you don't want to talk to me, you can call your aunt or, you know, or uncle or, you know, but you're, you have two aunts who want to be there for you. And I, but I think it's smart to sort of give them that permission. I imagine my kids would feel even in a couple of years, I bet that they would feel like, Oh, am I allowed? You know, but also to say to them, you know, she's, she's not going to, she's not going to run and call me on the other line immediately. She'll talk to exactly. you. So I think that's, that's really critical. Um, before that's we good for you, because you want to know that the, that the child has someone to go to. Exactly. Who you trust. Exactly. So they, yes, you. They may. I call it the confidant. They, they. Again, to your point, and I love that you said it. They may not. The aunt may not run to you to say, you know, I. He asked me about condoms, right, right. or whatever the, or she did, or birth control, whatever it right. was. And I'm, obviously, I'm going to the extremes of the issues. Um, but right. um, at, you know, at least you know they're going to the safe person. And of course, I. On the other hand, I recommend the aunt, and I always say this is part of the the, the principles, right? Right. That, uh, for Savianti that. If the child's welfare, their well-being is in danger, that's yes. a, then all bets are off, well, right? And, so it's yeah. a two-sided coin, right? If right. the child says that she knows the child has been cutting, God forbid, cutting herself or doing right. something to harm herself, that's different. You know, right? and, 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 you know, my, my sister and I are politically very different. My sister is very um, much more liberal, I would we would actually say she's pretty liberal, um, period. We are politically very different. We have different, different views on certain issues. And I trust that, you know, she may talk to my children about different views and that's perfectly fine, but she would never sort of say, well, your mother's an idiot and she should, and you shouldn't right. agree with you. Like my mother, my sister would always be respect, 100% respectful for me. And I mean, we, we, we have a pretty, um, uh, we talk, we talk a lot in my, so I don't shield them from other sort of, you know, things that people do or think or decisions people make or lifestyles or so, but you know, within reason, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not showing them <laughs> X-rated movies or anything, you know, but I, but I'm saying, you know, uh, my sister, I, I think that what, that is really important. I think in, is, is that my sister is also extremely respectful of, you know, our beliefs and ours and, and, and that we're, you know, we, we've chosen to raise our children in a certain way in the Catholic religion, um, you know, believing in certain things. And she would never try to undermine that. And she would, uh, again, still talk, be, she would want to be a safe place for them to talk about things. But I don't ever feel that risk. And I think, I think that's really important too. my sister. Mm-hmm. 
is very respectful of that kind of thing. And and that might not always be true. Look, there are tensions in families. You know, I talked about David Brooks saying, you know, these chosen families. And in some ways, that's a benefit of a chosen family because you can pick people that think exactly like you or believe, you know, we know there's tensions in families. So I don't want to suggest that when I was saying how, you know, because I don't, because I know my mom or my cousin or my sister would never say no to me, then that's a better thing. There are an awful lot of nice things about sort of these kinship relationships or relying yeah. on friends because you can choose people um, that, that, so whoever it is, I mean, look, you know, I think your children should have someone that they can go to and, to, and feel safe with. And, and, and because again, as you say, as they get older, there are some really, you know, difficult issues that they might be taking angling with. And, and I think that it's important that they have someone, especially if it, like you mentioned, if, if it's something that could endanger their, their lives, I think it's very important that they have someone to talk to. Okay. Um, and I, I have a relationship with my brother and sister-in-law. They're, they're more observant. Um, they're Jewish. I mean, they're more Orthodox than yeah. I am, but they know that I would never feed their child something that didn't have the right you know, label on it right. um, as per their level of, of uh, kosher observance. So, you know, there's trust. We're all adults and there's trust. Um, right. And that's always important. And also just, you know, to, as a final thing on, on this point is that also, God forbid, something happens to the parents. Right. There should be a woman there. I mean, you know, it happened with the, that poor girl. I'm forgetting her name, but from uh, uh, from Glee, the TV show. Oh my her god! Her sister and, oh. nep- and the nephew are very, very close. Yes. And in fact, the sister moved in Oops, with ten, the ex-husband. Yep. 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 Right. Yep. That I call it the pair aunt, the aunt that becomes the parent. Right. And if, thank God for that beautiful relationship. That's a right. Ch- and the nephew asked for it. Yeah. And that's everything a mother could ask for. Exactly. God forbid you're not there. You want to know that there's another maternal trusted figure in that child's life. Again, whether by relation, your sister, sister-in-law, your best friend, whomever, right. who can be there for them. That is, that is what family is. It's, it's, re- it's, it's really beautiful. That, and that, that story is so heartbreaking. But before we move on, I want to just ask you, or before we end this, I do want to ask you about National Aunties Day and at the annual Sa- Savvy Auntie Coolest Toy Awards, if you can give us just a little idea of what that's all about. So I established Aunties Day in 2009. It nice. falls on the fourth Sunday in July, which also happens to be um, Parents' Day. So whether nice. or not, you, you know, the auntie is invited and or auntie is their own day so the parents can have a day away from their kids, <laughs> uh, however you want to celebrate. Um, you know, it's a day to um, celebrate and honor the the other mothers in a child's life. And that means it's certainly no respect to mothers. I mean, maternal in, in the grander idea. Um, and, you know, again, an opportunity to acknowledge the, the role that, that these women play in, in the child's life and in the parent's life. I say that, you know, the um, aunthood is a gift. It's a gift certainly for the children because they can literally get gifts, but also it's a gift for the children. It's a gift um, for the parents, um, whether because they do help um, at home or because they, they are there as a trusted connection or even just somebody to talk to when the child is driving you nuts, right? Um, and not that any child would ever do that. <laughs> and also the gift, a gift for the aunt herself that she has these children in her life, again, whether or not 
um, she's child free by choice, circumstance or challenge. Um, so again, that's the fourth Sunday in July. And um, I, I say that um, I answered as a gift. This day is yours for the ants. And then um, the Seven Anti-Cools Toy Awards I also established in 2009. And it's because an ant, of course, wants to be the, ho- the hero at the holiday season. And but we're not, uh, most of us, I can't speak for everyone, really watching, you know, the Saturday morning cartoons or the 4 p.m. after school, you know, uh, Disney Junior Channel um, shows. And we may not know, you know, what the kids are into these days. Um, and in fact, sometimes we just go nostalgia and buy them a light bright or a Barbie and here you go. <laughs> so, um, which by the way, Barbie and Hot Wheels, there are a lot of nostalgic toys that are still yes. hot. Um, <laughs> so every year, I mean, I, I am a toy industry expert. I go to toy fair and other toy events. Um, and I do choose, uh, the, um, the toys that I think are the ones on the wish list of children this year and not just the ones um, that they see because of the commercials that are running, which are often the ones that make their list. Um, this year is a little bit strange because they're not in school mostly, so they're not seeing what other kids are playing with necessarily, but right. um, kids often have their hot list of what they want. Their, and I also look at gifts that maybe an aunt are, is more able to afford than a parent or a grandparent um, to maybe that ride-on toy that's you know, $299, that is just the most amazing thing. And something really, the aunt is the one likely to 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 buy it and to give it for the holidays. So um, look out for those coming soon um, this week. And I, I can't wait to share it with everyone. And, um, and again, um, often enough, the aunt uh, doesn't want to ask mom and dad, you know, what do the kids want? They don't right. want, they want to surprise the right. kids. So this is my way of saying, you know, here you go. Here's the list. Probably likely a sure, a sure bet um, on for the kid in your life. This is fabulous. And I am definitely going to be sending that list on to my sister because I know she, we call her the gift master in the family. She's always so thoughtful about things, but she does ask for guidance. And I know she doesn't want to, but it, it helps. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I will definitely be sending that on to her. So I'm so um, glad you mentioned that. And please send it on to me after this, like by email or something, because I want to, I definitely want to promote that. Um, so tell Thank us you. one last question. Tell us uh, uh, where people can find you, Twitter and Instagram, whatever, whatever your, your social media handles are. All the socials are Stavvy Auntie, and I'll spell that out, S-A-Z-Z-Y, two Vs, Auntie, A-U-N-T-I-E. And you can pronounce it auntie or auntie. I myself was an auntie, but my <laughs> New Jersey nephew and nieces just kept going back to auntie. And so we went with that. Um, and uh, so Savvy Auntie, I'm on Twitter, on Facebook, there's a Facebook page with over 100,000 Savvy Aunties. And also a Facebook group, which is private and closed. And so um, you have to request to join. But the, the there are over 3,000 amazing women there there's so much engagement it's a place that's a little more private obviously it's still the internet um i'm not guaranteeing privacy but you know (laughs) it's a private closed group um where you know you can talk about the things that really concern you um and 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 or share photos and things that you don't necessarily want or you likely don't want public and then um on instagram and um and anywhere else um 
savvy auntie, although not TikTok. I just can't. Good God. Good for you. Good for you. I like that. What a, what, what a great way to end it. But I will tell you, Melanie, <laughs> I, I will, I will tell you, Melanie, I ha- and I meant to say, tell you this in the beginning. I, I, my mother was, uh, my, my, rather my grandmother, Beatrice was one of 12 children and my grandfather, Leon was one of 10. And there, so now, and I will tell you by the time now, you know, my mother only had a brother and then I am just me and my sister, but we would go up to New England, um, to visit, uh, my whole mom, my mom's whole family. And, um, and of the, um, you know, of the, of all those brothers and sisters of my, my grandmother, uh, four, um, aunts and one uncle never married. And so they all lived mm-hmm. actually in my, my, my grandmame, my, my great grandmother's house, um, and great grandfather's house, their whole lives. They lived in the same house. They were born in that house and they died in that house. And, um, and we would go and visit them. And so these five, these four aunts were so good to us and they would always sneak us candy and they would, mm. they would go to the playground with us. And I mean, you know, it's funny cause they always had gray hair, but they went gray and uh, they went gray like at 35. So they were actually, they always seemed older to me, but they were actually young when, you know, when I was little and they're very active and very wonderful. And, and I have such a special play. I mean, they, you know, the, the last one just died about 10 years ago. And so they always been, had a very special, we always called them the aunts and uncle Alex my poor sweet uncle mm. Alex living with these women, these very strong willed women. He was very <laughs> quiet. He was very quiet. So I will tell you, I have always had such a special place in my heart, in my heart for aunts in general, my wonderful aunts, my wonderful sister who, and my wonderful sister-in-law who've all been very important to my children. And those older, aunt, my great aunts were very important to me. And I have told my kids about the great aunts as well. And so I really appreciate you highlighting this very important demographic of women talking about them, trying to debunk a lot of the myths and misconceptions out there about this uh, group of women. And and thank you for helping, I think, moms like me sort of recognize and appreciate that that group of women more. You know, I and I thank you very much for sharing that. I myself, my mom's best friend, uh, my Auntie Marilyn, I, my mom died when I was 19 and oh. she stepped right in and my my auntie Ethel um who um by my my dad's brother's wife who um took me on you know took me in her red corvette and see movies together (laughs) and and these relationships are magical and um they really are they they make it these aunts have a way of making a child feel so special um and and I um, am so grateful that you invited me onto your show. As I said at the top of the show, to you know that that often enough, you know, parents kind of think, well, you know, what do they want to talk to us about, or what could they, you oh. know, teach us about? What what do they have to contribute? And and this conversation, Julie, really, I I wish I could have more of these conversations with more parents. Um, because, you know, when you open up your heart and your mind, um, to those who love your children, um, and, you know, your all the children in the family village, we become a stronger village and we become a happier community. And so this is really important. I am grateful, um, to be on this, this podcast with you. And um, I am grateful to your listeners for hanging on um, and listening <laughs> to this. And again, 
you know, I'm available. Uh, probably best place for like conversations like this are, <laughs> are on Twitter at Savvy Auntie. And I look forward to continuing the conversation um, with you and with parents and with course with all the Savvy Aunties. Well, I would love to have you on again. And honestly, you are just a, a wonderful, joyful guest. And thank you again so much for joining me. I learned a lot on this podcast. And I, I, I do really look forward to, um, to having you on and continuing this conversation again. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Julie. I'd love it. Thank you so much again for having me on. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.